welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. We're back again this week, finishing the second book of the Skinjacker trilogy, Everwild. And I feel like I remembered less and less detail as we powered through the plot this week, but I did know most of the big reveals. Well, for anyone who is new to our show, and for anyone who's not, we say this every week, we are a book club podcast on the Nerd Party Network. So we're best friends, and we read and reread YA books from our adolescence, and we share them with each other. So we're alternating right between series that one of us has read before and the other hasn't. And that way you, our dear listener, get to get two different perspectives, one from a new reader and one from a rereader. And I have read the Skinjacker books before because Neil Schusterman, the author, actually came and spoke to my class in middle school. So that means that Charles is the newcomer this for this series, and so he is still on summary duty. Yep. So the second half of Everwild... The forces are all slowly converging on Memphis, basically all of our characters, as they prepare for a final battle. Allie gets stuck while skinjacking and finds out something super important about herself. Meanwhile, Nick actually melts all the way down, and Mary and Milos continue their evil plan. Nick's plan does initially succeed to push Mary into the world of living, but she quickly changes that. And Milos takes her train west to conquer more of Everlost. So my impression was that this reading was absolutely crazy. And we did get some really important world-building reveals. And the ending was quite dramatic. But I was very much about it. I enjoyed it. It was absolutely a page-turner for me, which these books definitely have not been that so far. Not that I'm bored in them. I don't mean that. They just have not, like sucked me in yet but this reading i was like i think i read the whole thing like in like five hours because i was really into it so you were finally sucked in i was i don't know i'm not like sucked in that i'm like oh my god i can't wait to start the next one i mean i do want to start the next one but this reading i was just like oh yeah oh yeah anyway I would dis- describe that then as then, yes, you are excited to dive into the next one. I just said I'm not, but okay. But why? Okay. Well, my impression is that I very much enjoyed it. And like I mentioned, I feel like as we're going along through the series, I'm definitely remembering less of the details. But I did remember some of the big reveals that we got specifically in this reading, as well as some other reveals that I think we'll get in the future. But yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I feel like the story is actually getting really interesting now. So I'm looking forward to reading the next book. But I have, again, read this before, so I am obviously biased. But something I didn't expect was how dark this series actually got, which I don't know if these concepts just like went over my head as a kid or I just didn't remember it in this way because I like mainly focused on the positive things. But We'll get into that later in the episode. Yeah, it's not that I'm not excited to read the next book. I'm just saying that in particular, this reading itself was a page turner. That's what I mean. Anyway, diving in, 
The chocolate is really slowing Nick down now. It's been spreading really badly, and it's becoming a problem because he can't move as well or speak as well or see as well. And it's because he's stuck thinking of himself as the ogre and not as Nick because he's so focused on his mission. He's so focused on saving the afterlights from Mary that he's not remembering who he was. And so the chocolate is, it's becoming a real problem. Yeah, that was my first note as well, because clearly the chocolate is becoming a problem for Nick because it's pretty much the very start of the reading when we see Nick, like the chocolate has spread over like most of his body and covered most of his face. So like I said, it's definitely becoming a serious issue. And sticking with Nick, he's actually using Zinn, the Ector Ripper, to recruit afterlights. She's basically ripping things for them, and that's gaining loyalty so that they can build up followers and essentially build up their forces. Which seems to be working for them, but at this point I was more interested in why Nick wants Zinn to know how to cram things back into the living world, because he wants her to basically try to reverse her power, so instead of taking something out of the living world and bringing it into Everlost... He wants her to take something from Everlost and put it back into the living world, which I did not remember at first what his reasoning for wanting that was. Well, were he, I was wondering that too, but we actually get the answer pretty quickly because he says like pretty soon, like after he has Zinn cram the dog back into the real world, he says that his plan is to have her push Mary into the real world, which I did not, I will admit, I was not expecting that to be the plan. Yeah, and I also, like I said, did not remember this plan at all. But for me, when he says that, I was kind of wondering, you know, would that work the same since first he has Zin practice with a dog that she has, Kudzu? Kudzu? Yeah, Kudzu. Kudzu. Which basically, Zin ripped this dog, like, straight out of the living world. It's not a dead dog. She just ripped the dog into Everloss and, like, everything was fine. So Nick has her push the dog back into the living world, and it works. But I was just how he wants her to put Mary back in the living world. Like, I just was wondering if it would work the same because technically since Kudzu never died, he still had a body. Like, his whole body and soul came into Everlost, whereas, like, based on the world building we've got, like, Mary no longer has a body, or at least that's what I would think. She's just a soul in Everlost. So, like, if she were to be pushed back into the living world, does she just get a new body? Or, like, her body in Everlost just becomes real body? That was just what I was thinking as they, like, brought this up as an idea. Yeah, I was actually wondering the same thing, too, because it they are two different paradigms. It's actually going to be answered. Well, well no, actually not. It's not going to be addressed. Like, we're not going to get an explanation, but we will... It will work. So, well, well, that's me jumping ahead. But what you're mentioning will be addressed insofar as it will work. But it yeah, works. That's me getting super far ahead. So I'll calm down. So let's go to Allie, actually. So she is now alone in Memphis and she's implementing a plan to meet her parents, but specifically her mother, because she doesn't know if her dad's alive. Because as a reminder, Allie's dad was in the car with her when she was in the car accident. So she's never been sure if he survived the accident or not. But Allie does find her mom and she decides that she's going to go meet her while she is skinjacking 
this cat lady, like an older lady who just has a bunch of cats because she wants somebody who kind of doesn't really do that much during the day who's not going to realize that she's taking this person over for hours at a time, multiple days in a row. So this is where I wrote my notes. I said, how are you not excited by this, Charles? Because in the last episode, Charles said how, you know, he really didn't care about the skin jacking and finding out all these answers. Like, I know he's really enjoying the characters, but I feel like he's less interested in, like, the world. But, like, to me, this was one of the most exciting parts of the reading of, like, Allie finding... But you're saying that because you know what we find out. As I was reading it, I didn't know what we were going to find out. And so I wasn't excited about her, like, going home. But not exciting in the sense of, like, oh, my goodness, like, something great's going to happen. But more just, like, oh, my gosh, I'm so interested. Like, I guess I found it very interesting. Like, I was intrigued that she's found her mom, like, what's going to happen? Like, I guess it's that kind of feeling. Like, yes. I was not at all intrigued by that. I was kind of freaked out. Okay, well. Because she, when she, like, tries to give a message, I'm like, that would be so horrible. Well, I was. That would be so horrible. If I was well, living. I was very intrigued. I did not, I also did not remember exactly how the scene went down. But we can break that down right now. But for me, I'm, like. I remember the big reveal about skin jacking, but I didn't remember exactly how, like, Allie found her parents and, like, how that all happened. But I also, I just knew that, like, nothing bad was going to happen to her because I know that she, like, continues to be in the story. I mean, I wasn't worried about something bad happening to Allie. I just thought it was kind of messed up to, like, her parents. But anyway, okay. So, and also, I didn't want her to sink, but I didn't think she was going to because, again, she's the main character. So she goes and she skinjacks, and while she's skinjacking, she's discovered. So we'll get to the reveal in a second, but she's discovered, and so she's running away as the old lady. And that actually ends up giving the old lady a heart attack. And I was just like, you know, not that we ever agreed with Milos, but when he says there's no cost to skinjacking, I was like, well, pretty much seems like there is, because if... Allie's actions can give this poor woman a heart attack that she won't even remember the cause of. Yeah, it can be really dangerous. Yeah, definitely. Which, like we said, that was kind of ridiculous for Allie not to not have said anything in that moment when he said that. Because clearly there are consequences. So that does actually take us to the big reveal. Do you want to go ahead, Asia? So, basically, Allie has... I'll set the scene. Allie has... From this old woman, she's basically, now that she's met her parents, she just wants to see them and be around them, obviously, because it's the first time she's seen her parents since she died. And so she ends up skinjacking this little boy who's like seven years old, and she has him climb up a tree into her house while her parents are sleeping, but she ends up falling asleep inside the little kid's body. And so in the morning, her parents find her and this little boy, and they're like, how did you get in our house? Are you okay? And in this moment, like, she tries to, like, get out of him, but she, this is the longest time she's ever skinjacked anyone, so she's kind of, like, doesn't know how to get out of him, so she's just one with this little boy. But she kind of takes him over and is, like, talking to her parents, you know, asking, like, what happened to her, basically. And this is when the parents, her parents reveal that Allie is not dead. She's actually in a coma. And so... This made me think, are skinjackers just people who are in comas? 
That would be, yes, my assumption. I'm pretty sure that is what is, like, basically the rule that is created. That's definitely what's implied. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, big reveal. Did you see that coming at all, Charles? I mean, like, I know you said from before you weren't really, didn't really seem to be interested in, like, the reason why people could skin Jack. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. Though it does actually, it makes me think about, so we talked about this last week, how Allie says that she and Nick died in the same car crash. And that made me suspect Jack and Jill for killing people in car crashes. Like, that she uses her skin jacket to kill people. But now, that makes me think that what they were thinking of when Squirrel and Moose look all stressed out is that, like, she didn't die because she's a skinjacker, so clearly Nick did die, yes, but she didn't. But that hint worked both ways in that it made me suspect Jill of doing what she was doing wrong, plus it also does lead into the background of the skinjacking, which I just think is excellent writing. I don't know if he was going for both of those, but I think that both of those are plausible, and both of those are paid off, so... It works really well. Yeah. And it does really, but I myself did not see it coming that that was going to be the explanation, but it totally fits in with like the few things Milos has told us when he says that you can skin jack for the length of your natural life. And I was like, well, big flaw. How do you determine a natural life of someone who's dead? Like their natural life is ended. Turns out if you have a, you know, with a comatose body, that body is still technically alive. So I'm assuming they lose the ability to skin jack when they're, heart stops. And that also explains why some afterlights can do it and some can't because again, you're either comatose or you're not. Yes. And then like when they die, they just become regular afterlights like everyone else who's dead. So is that all correct? Yes, that is what I got from it and from what I remember. But right pretty pretty much right after we get this reveal, Ali like details and like there's like little snippets before some of the chapters and it's like Allie, like how Mary's written a lot of her books about Everlost. Allie is like making her own books as Allie the Outcast. And she says that, that she understands why like they need to let all skin jackers like figure this out for themselves that like their body isn't actually dead. They're just in a coma. And I completely disagree with that idea. Like I think that all of the afterlights who have the ability to skin jack have a right to know that the reason that they can skin jack is because they're still alive. Like, I feel like that's not something that should be hidden or, like, is something that they need to figure out for themselves, like, on some journey. Like, I think you should just tell them and then, you know, they can make a decision based off of that information. Well, also, yeah, I I don't understand, like, why it has to be concealed. Like, that's the thing for me that I'm, like, I don't understand why it has to be a secret. Yeah. And I also understand, like, when she says, like, it's something that you have to, like, basically learn or earn on your own. I was like, but why? Like. Yeah, I just. I, that didn't make you any know, sense. You know, she didn't give any. She didn't give any reason as to why she thinks that. So I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you. Because I could understand. Me. I could understand her argument of maybe being like, you know. If they figured out for themselves, like, if we were just to tell someone that, like, you can skin jack because your body's still alive, they wouldn't believe you. But I'd be like, you tell them that, then you push them in the right direction, and they, they go and figure it out. But, like, because, like... But also, why does it matter that it's a secret? Like, I... Yeah. 
again, it, that whole, like, that idea just doesn't make sense to me. Like, there's no reason why it should be kept from you of, like, why. Like, it made sense, obviously, for the plot of the story for it to be a reveal. And it makes sense, I think, for Milos's character to not just outright tell Allie because he doesn't necessarily have her best interest at heart anyway. Like, But, like, I don't think Mary even knows that that's why Skinjackers can do it. Because she just thinks skinjacking no, is evil. I don't think anyone knows. And so I'm like... I could see the... The only reason I could see it being, like, being a secret, like, maybe to protect the safety of skinjackers, because obviously most people probably would love to be alive again, and, like, to our understanding... But, like, what like, can you do to an afterlife? You can't do anything. I mean, I guess you can... can shove them to the center of the earth. Yeah, but, like, they're not even dead. But if they're not... If their but soul if you shove them the to the center of the earth, they'll be trapped there until the end of all time. So I think the only reason, only reason I could think of is if all of the afterlights in Everlast, like how they are born into the world and they kind of learn the rules. If one of the things was like skinjackers are actually still alive, Mary could turn that into let's, you know, push all the skinjackers to the center of the earth because we're jealous that they could possibly come up, become alive again. And we can't like, who knows? So like, I could understand that, like essentially they're special in and of themselves with the idea that, like, if you can skinjack yourself, you could possibly come back to life. I could see... That's the only, like, possible reasoning I could see as to why it would be like, oh, we don't just, like, tell everybody that that's, like, a thing. I guess. I just... It still doesn't make sense why you need to figure it out for yourself. Like, I feel like you could tell it among other skinjackers. Yeah, I don't know why it has to be a quest. And maybe just don't tell other afterlights. Yeah. But that's me trying to give an explanation. (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand why it would have to be a quest at all. Something that this also explains, or it wasn't explained, but I was thinking of, that it's been mentioned a couple times that Allie like, and Skinjackers writ large don't have trouble with memory. Like, they don't have problems remembering themselves. So they don't, like, start to, like, decompose or, like, lose their features because they remember themselves. And I think that's probably partially just like, I mean, I don't know if it's ever going to be explained, but fitting into the narrative, the fact that skinjackers are technically still alive makes sense. That they also therefore like not have trouble remembering who they are because their body is technically preserved. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just something else I noticed that I thought might, might fit in. It might never be addressed, but it definitely fits in because we are told that Allie doesn't have problems yeah. remembering herself. And so then she, like you mentioned, she's actually stuck in Danny, the little boy that she was skinjacking. Yeah, which is very unfortunate for both her and this little boy who's, like, terrified. I thought it was so funny because he's like, I don't want a girl inside my head. I know. I was like, well, that is probably what a five-year-old would think. But it was, it was like, yeah, I'd be so freaked out. Ooh, ooh. Anyway, then we're going to come to... Big validation for me. I was also correct. I mentioned this earlier in my theory that Jill, we should just call her Jill instead of Jack and Jill because it's confusing when we say it. It sounds, I mean, I know it's the play on words, but like (laughs) Jill uses her skin jacking to kill people so that she can locate them as interlights, the basically like undeveloped afterlights, and then collect them. So like she was, my theory was correct. Mary figures it out, and yes, Milos knew that Jill literally kills people to control them in Everlost. And Mary is also aware of this, so which means she is literally okay with skinjackers 
murdering children to bring them into Everlast. And even Milo says that he will be willing to do that for her, which when we already knew Milos was slimy and gross. But I feel like at this point there, I was like, there is no doubting now that Mary knows that what she is doing is wrong and she is continuing to do it. Oh, yeah. She's definitely evil because murder is obviously evil and non-justifiable. Like there is, it's just, there's no way to justify it. So I never thought that Mary was right. Just to be clear, when we talked about this last week, it wasn't that I'm saying that Mary is at all right, but I'm saying that, again, she was wrong, but she was, she did, I didn't think that she was necessarily evil in her desire to like make everyone's afterlife the best it could be. Like she was wrong, but she wasn't evil except for the denying information that was, but now that she knows that she's like, she's totally fine with murder, that's evil. I hope the listeners understand that distinction that I'm trying to make because <laughs> I'm, I'm really Mary trying. equal evil. Yes. And she is also building up her army now with all of these new afterlights to go to Memphis and basically do a sneak attack on Nick. Which totally works. Like, she's able to sneak up on him because he was only looking for the Hindenburg in the sky. Yes, and at this point I was thinking that Nick is has been kind of underestimating Mary's cunningness and deceit. Like, he definitely is, like, aware of, like, her being wrong, but I don't think he realizes the full extent of how, like, we said, sh- how evil she is, and obviously, like, goes back and forth that they do, like, they are in love. So, like, even though I don't really think that that's clouding Nick's judgment, like, the his love for her, but I think it's the underestimating, like, underestimating, like, what she's willing to do to, like, get what she wants. And she's planning to use, there's a vortex in Memphis, which some of the vortexes, and this one in particular, like... Um, uh, 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 vortices. What did I say? You said vortexes. Vortices. Well, I'm only making that correction because Mary makes that correction in the book. Oh. Which is why I thought it was funny. (laughs) I, was, I don't correct other things when they're not, when you make up words, but the vortices, I just thought it was funny because okay, we literally just moving on. Anyway, this- Speedo's like, vortexes, and she's like, vortices? God. Mary's terrible. But anyway. Look who wasn't reading this time. This Memphis vortex, Sorry. it basically, like, changes you, like, can change your appearance, like, people, like, the, what was the- Character's name who could smell a lot. What did they call him? Sniffer. The Sniffer or whatever, which it's this afterlight. He had like a big nose or something and he went into this vortex and now he has like this incredible sense of smell, but he doesn't like just smell smells. He smells like feelings like he can smell like misery or like panic or something. So basically Mary's plan is to get Nick into this vortex long enough for him to basically completely turn into chocolate because as we said he's already at this point probably like three quarters two-thirds of the way there so she's just like let's speed up this process to basically destroy him yeah and that was like incredibly obvious to me like of course the vortex like we know it exacerbates powers or conditions so i was like of course nick is gonna melt but like we said he's not really focused on himself or any sort of self-preservation at all yeah. 
But I did figure it out. I figured out that was Mary's plan. Am I a genius? Something else I figured out was that Milos was going to kill Danny to free Allie. Like, when he was skinjacked into the pool, guys, there's, like, maybe this, like, a deep-set fear of mine of drowning in a pool. But, like, when the pool cleaners came, I was like, oh, my God, this boy's going to die. And then when Milos was like, there's a way to free you, I was like, I think Milos is about to drown this child. And then he did. Did you remember that, Asia? No, I didn't. I did not remember. I did not realize what was happening until it was happening in the book. And I will say, like, I did not remember this series being, like, so dark. Like, they literally tried to kill Danny. Like, they tried to kill a little kid. Like, I feel like, you know, with Jill and stuff and them talking about the skin jacket and killing kids, like, I mean, it's it was more messed like up, it's but being it's talked vague. about. Yeah. Yeah, vague. Whereas this was, that was straight up murder of a child. And. We were also right there. We were witnessing it as a reader. We were right there. We were in it. We were in it. We were witnessing it as Allie and Danny together in the same body drowned. But luckily, Allie manages to push Danny's soul because his soul comes out or like his soul comes out of his body, basically. And he sees the light. But Allie prevents him from going into the light because obviously she doesn't want the little kid to die. And you know that Milo says a terrible comment of like, oh, you did your first job of like bringing an interlight into Everlost. And then Danny is like, I'm getting so sleepy because like we know the interlights have to sleep for nine months before they become an afterlight. And Allie's like, no, no. And so she shoves him back into his body. So Danny comes back to life. Like it was actually like a really like it was a miracle. scary moment. And then. Yes, like a literal miracle. So luckily Danny does survive and Allie was able to escape his body. But like it was very dark. Like I just did not remember that at all about this series. Well, again, it's just going to show, you know, Asia used to give me such a hard time on this podcast for picking dark things. And then, you know, she just started picking this darkest of all things. It's still nothing in comparison to everything we, anything we read of yours of like scary monsters and creatures are you sure? Except I feel like maybe Maze the Runner ex- was pretty messed up. I except feel like maybe the Maze Runner, that was the only one. But even then, like, the Divergent other ones was were also just so really weird. dark because it was like it brought me to a place of wow, writing is so bad. There's no point reading in the rest of my life because Divergent was so bad. It was metaphysically dark, and I blame you. I blame the author, but okay. Anyway. Anyway. So they all converge on Memphis for this big battle, including Mikey, who captures Allie. But she convinces him that she loves him, finally. And it was a great moment. Like, probably my favorite moment of the whole book. Yeah, it was a really, really good moment. And it was a very, just, like, sweet reunion for them. But, (laughs) like, in order for Allie to, like, prove her love... She's like, show me your worst, because, like, Mikey is basically, like, a professional, like, shapeshifter at this point. So he shows her, like, his ugliest, darkest, like, most disgusting face or something. And Allie kisses this disgusting face on Mikey. And, like, I don't even want to imagine, I don't even want to imagine what that was, like, what that would look like, because that's gross. But, you know, still cute, I guess. True love's kiss. I guess, like, but it could have just been, like, his normalness. Like, I don't need to kiss, like, something nasty. 
I mean, yeah, I don't want to kiss anything nasty either, but, you know, she was trying to prove a point. Also, I like how he was, like, he was such a boy. Like, he was such a stereotypical boy. He was, like, so dumbfounded when she's like, you're the person I love. And he's like, really? And then she's like, let me kiss you, and I got to go save the world, because boys can't do that, but girls got to do it. It was, like, so, it was just so funny. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a, like a dumbstruck teenage boy. Like, she likes me? <laughs> I mean, they are all Sorry. teenagers. Stuck in teenage bodies. So they go into the vortex, and as expected, all hell breaks loose. So Nick does actually melt, and Zinn does push Mary, and Allie pulls on Mary from the side of the living. I was like, yeah, tag team her, take her down. Which works really well, except that Mary also pulls Zinn through, so the two of them come into like, the world of the living, and they just resume their old bodies as they left them. So, to answer Asia's comment, we don't get, like, an explanation other than... We don't get an explanation, period. They just resume where they left off. It just happens. Yeah, it just happens, which is, like, crazy. But I guess, when you think about it, Zinn was the only person, at least so far, to find that, like, had this power. So now that she's back to life, like, they're... But we know of there's nobody else who maybe can do it and ever lost. So then maybe there doesn't need to really be an explanation. But yeah, that is like doesn't fully make sense. But moving on, once Mary is alive, Allie actually briefly skin jacks her and she's able to get like a little peek inside of her brain and she sees all of her evil plans and how Mary truly believes that it's everything she was doing and everything that she wants to do is in the service of good but I don't think that that makes her any less evil because you know everyone who's like fighting for something or believes in something like obviously they think that what they're doing is right. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. Hard they wouldn't disagree. be believing those things if they didn't think it was the correct way to do things. I don't think... I think I think the modern GOP genuinely doesn't care about the things they do. They just don't think women should have rights. Okay. Well, we're not getting into a political conversation right now, but I'm more so saying... My, my argument more so is the idea of intent. Like, what your intent is, to me, doesn't define evil. It's what you're doing. And so the fact that she literally wants to murder children, like, to me, that's evil in and of itself, as opposed to, like, this is just going back to, I know you said now that you feel she's evil, but before how you were like, well, if she believes that what she's doing is right, whereas I was like, but anybody could believe what they're doing is right, but if they're doing something wrong, like, that doesn't make it not wrong and doesn't make them not an evil person. So that's more what I was saying of, like, I feel like when Allie's... Yeah, I know that's why you wrote this down. When Allie's inside of her, she's able to see that, like, Mary believes in everything. It's not like she's like, oh, my God, I'm doing all these things just because, like, I want power or whatever. It's, like, because she truly believes that, like, Everlost is the real world or something. But I'm like, that doesn't make you more of an evil person. You may be a psychopath and crazy, but you're still evil. So that was more what I want to say, like... Yes, and I... This is why I'm trying so hard, dear listener, to get this distinction across. Cause I also think that they what I'm trying to make the distinction, what I tried to make the distinction of last week also ends at the water's edge. Once your actions stop being ambival- like moral gray areas. Like what I said, now that she's totally fine with murder, like she's actually pro murder. Like that's where, you know, her good intentions don't count anymore. I mean, 
obviously actions speak louder than intentions. Actions count for more. But I'm saying, again, that, like, when she denies, when she keeps people in Everlast, she's not being cruel. Like, she's, you know, it's like she just, you know, she, again, she should tell people, she should give people the option to take their coins. And she does say, like, she's like, the coins are in the fountain. Like, if people want them, they can take them. They obviously don't know what they do. But, well, no. Now she's telling people that the coins will like hurt you. Like, but now, but yes, so now, but she's escalating. In the first book, in the first book, when she's like, the coins are there, people can take them. She's not necessarily wrong. Like, sure, again, she's wrong in like what she's believing, but she, her actions are not necessarily evil. Being like, let's go kill everybody, evil. You know, like, there's well, a- it's basically she starts as like the basic cult leader where she's gotten you to follow her, but she's not taking away any of your rights. Like, because the idea she told she told them basically that the coins were like worthless. So that's misinformation. But like you said, she's not telling you what to do. She's just misinforming you. Now she's misinforming you further. Yes. And she's like doing evil stuff on top of it. So, yes, she's definitely escalating. That's what I mean. Which is why I feel like. No, I know, I know. As I said, we're on the same page now. I just wrote this down in my notes because we have this whole discussion, and I just wanted to be clear, you know, that we both feel, you we know, both feel killing children, yeah, killing, killing anyone, that's evil. Absolutely. So that's a big escalation. Let's talk about that. So her, this is Mary's plan, actually. Her plan is to blow up this bridge that crosses the Mississippi River because basically there's this wind that comes off the river so Everlights can't cross, or ever Afterlights can't cross the Mississippi River in Everlast. So her plan is to blow up this bridge because then it will cross over into Everlast and then they can just take their ghost train across the river so that she can conquer more of Everlast. But in order for it to cross over, people also have to die there. So her plan is to, and which Jill actually does, is blow up a bridge including 50 people. And I wrote, that's so beep, but we don't curse on this show, but infer your own curse word because that was so messed up. Oh, yeah. And I think also the escalation is coming because at least before Mary was kind of in her own world in the Twin Towers, having her own little cult, you know, holding on to her kids, like protecting her disciples, whatever you want to call it. And maybe, like, giving them misinformation. But now she's escalated to, like, where, yes, she's become, like, a conqueror. She is, a con- like, she's become a colonizer. And she's basically trying to colonize all of Everlast. Mary Megan Hightower, the colonizer. So I yeah. feel like that is, yes, a huge escalation. Because it's not even, like, oh, like, she's been attacked. She is the instigator. She is, I want to take down the whole world. I want to... Bring all the I mean, children don't to worry. Everlast. It's going to get way worse. It's going to get way worse when we get to the epilogue. Yes, much. Let's let's get there because, I mean, this was already messed up. She's like, I want to blow up a bridge so that I can have a train. Girl, Yeah, stop. so before we... But it's about to get way before worse. Before we get to that, let's go back to Allie. Because after that happens, Milos shows up and he actually captures Allie. And he brings her back because they've taken over Nick's train, all of... Mary's kids and everything. And so they strap her onto the front of the train. The bridge, you know, blows up so that they can go across it. And they all start heading west. And Mikey can't follow them because of the wind. So, like, we've talked about, which we still haven't got an explanation of what this wind is across the river. But basically, like, they, as afterlights, can't, like, 
physically walk through the wind because it's like it'll blow them over like they can't walk but that's why they that's why mary's plan was to do the train because the train can't be blown over that's how they were going to get across so mikey gets even further redemption because he goes back to the house with the vortex and he scoops up all of the melted chocolate that was nick and like reforms him into a golem and he Nick basically comes back to life as this, like, golem who, like, doesn't fully remember who he is, but, like, is remembering certain things and is, like, slowly becoming a person again, but, like, he's now, like, fully made of chocolate. And Mikey says that they're going to actually dig under the river. So he has them go into the living world and they're going to sink. And because, you know, he has this incredible will and he dug himself up from the center of the earth before, he figures he'll be able to do it again. And now he's, like, progressed his powers a lot of, like, changing into different beings. So that's his plan. They're going to dig under the river to catch up to Milos and everyone on the train so that they can rescue Allie. Yeah, this is definitely my second favorite moment. And I just think that's probably just because Mikey is my favorite character because he is, he like, he's honestly kind of the most real. Oh, yeah. Like, because he, he's he's temperamental. He's angry, like a teenager would be. And... But he also, and he's, you know, he's put in the work. And he also, like, he's not been, like, on a perfect incline of, like, becoming a better person. Like, he had setbacks. And he has to work really hard. And he also, like, turns his, like, his flaws into his strengths, into his power, which is, like, very inspiring. Mm-hmm. He, and he's also, like, also he keeps, everyone describes him as, like like, kind of, like, charmingly handsome. And I'm like, well, not complaining about that. So... He's probably my favorite character, so I really did think that, like, that was a really tender moment, and also, like, we've had golems in so many stories on this show. We had them in Percy Jackson, we had them in Nicholas Flamel. Oh, yeah, yeah, that Those were, like, for That was, like, years ago now. The, those are our first this books. This is why I'm like, so that what? Was over I didn't remember ago. that. But, yes. I'm trying to think. I don't think we had any. Well, I don't know. Anyway. But, Yes. But I just thought of something funny because how you said Mikey is your favorite character. I definitely like, I like Mikey and Allie. But I was, just as we're reading this, like, because I knew Nick was going to, like, melt. I remember the first time I read this as a kid, like, really hating Nick's character. Like, being so annoyed by him, thinking he was so pitiful. But I feel like. Why? But I, I think it was just the idea of, like, I feel like Allie, like, had a plan more and, like. She obviously gets mixed up in everything, but I feel like like how we're talking about how Nick was so not focused on his own self-preservation. As a kid, I was like, what are you doing? Because he was so focused on his plan. But that's what I'm saying as a kid. Whereas now when I read it, I was like, oh, like it totally makes sense. Like he was being selfless. Like he was thinking of the other afterlights and like trying to like save Everlost that he didn't have time to focus on himself. But I like just remember like when we were going into reading this, like I remember just like not liking Nick's character as much. Also, I bet as a kid, you'd probably be really annoyed at Nick because everyone tells me he needs to worry about the chocolate and he doesn't. Like, Yeah, but as an adult, I feel like so you're like, new, no, Nick's thinking like an adult. Yeah. He's worrying about things besides himself because he is a leader. Like, Exactly. I agree. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was funny because how you're saying how your favorite character. Like, I just remember like very much disliking Nick and like I don't feel that way at all reading it. I mean, I just really hate Mary, but like she's the villain. So of course you're going to hate her. I also really hate Milos because he's slimy. I mean, him too. He's he's another villain. Yeah. So, while well, we just finished with my favorite character, Mikey. Let's wrap up with everyone's least favorite character, Mary. 
So, uh, Charles, since I know I'm sure you had a very dramatic reaction, did you want us to give us the play-by-play of reading the epilogue to the book? Sure. This is how I experienced it. So, again, this is Mary. She's been, like, trapped in the mortal world in her green velvet dress for a week, and she's, like, annoyed because she's like, I keep sweating, I keep getting hungry, I keep passing out because I don't remember to drink water. And I have to poop. And she's like, I tried to deny it, but then, like, it was a problem. So she's thoroughly angry. And so she finds... Which, like, makes sense because she had been in Everlast for, like, 100 years. So, like, she does not remember what it, like... She doesn't remember what it's like But this is about to inform her going crazier. So she... You know, Milos comes because their plan was that he was going to meet her. They meet up. And this is... I was like, Mary doesn't want to be alive? Like... Wait, no, she doesn't want anybody to be alive. She thinks that being an Everlost is better than being alive? (laughs) Oh my god, she's going to have Milos kill her, and then they can end humanity together. Oh, because she really does want to send everyone to Everlost, because she thinks it's better than being alive. Dang, she's insane. And then, like, full-on lies down on a blade. Like... She just slips that blade right into her chest. Yep. Okay, what did you think? Because that's how I experienced it. I was like, wow, she really does think that, like, being alive is so bad, it would be better if everyone was dead. I mean, yeah, and that's where I feel like her beliefs have, yeah, like, crossed over into insanity and just very, very extreme, like, very radical. Because it's one thing for her, like... Yes, of course Mary doesn't enjoy being alive. It's not like if Allie or Nick came to life and, like, their family's still alive, they would have somewhere to go. Mary is just a 15, 16-year-old girl. I can't remember her age. but From, like, the 1850s. From, like, the 1850s. is just thrown into the modern world, has no, like, family. And, like, as we know, like, it's very hard to survive in the world if you have no one, especially, especially as a child, like... Also, there would be no history of her. So, like, unless you were had died within the past couple of years, it would not be great for you to come back to life all of a sudden. So I totally understand that. But, yeah, the escalation from, you know, you want to make Everlost a better place and, like, for the afterlife to have a great time versus now you want to bring people into Everlost to, oh, now you want to kill all human life. Yes, very much an escalation and just really extreme. But for me, the Everlost... Well, especially since also, like, kids don't even... Adults don't even go into Everlost. Well, because, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's also going to give, like, kind of Peter Pan vibes of, like, don't want to grow up. Like, there's no point in growing up because it's so much better in Everlost. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's so much more you can do. No responsibility. So, but... Also, though, the epilogue low-key gave me Bella Swan vibes just a little bit, like, in a very dark way because Mary, like, basically begs Milos to kill her, which, like, kind of reminded me of, like, Bella after, like, the first book, like, begging Edward to, like, make her into a vampire. But obviously it's much less romantic and, like, way more disturbing because Mary's like, you know, kill me pull me from the light she's like you're gonna grab me from the light and then you're gonna watch over my body you know while i sleep or not my body my soul (laughs) while i sleep for nine months and like you'll carry out my plan for me like i'm telling you it is like that is exactly the vibe i got of like bella turning into a vampire and like edward doing it to her and like watching over her but like just way way darker but yes at the end of this though my final verdict was 
Mary is evil because she literally wants to kill all human life. Yeah, absolutely. In case it was unclear what my stance is, I agree Mary is evil for trying to end humanity. Yep. Do you have any other impressions of this reading? I don't think so. I think we talked about pretty much everything. I am, like I said at the beginning, I'm looking forward to continuing reading because I think I have like a general idea of how the series ends and everything, but I don't, uh, like again, I just usually just don't remember much of the details, so I'm just really excited to like keep going and like seeing how everything plays out. This conversation did make me more excited to finish. I, again, it's it's not that I, I really don't dislike the series at all. It's nothing like that. It's just that it is not at all anything I would personally pick out. So when I finished reading the book, I was like, oh, Mary's crazy. Okay. Like, I'll finish the series. But, it, you know, like, I just, but this conversation, I'm like, after talking about it a little bit, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to see how it ends. So I'm excited. Well, I mean, yeah, because it's like, you know, how is our Mikey and Nick going to be able to save Allie? Is Nick going to become like his normal self again? Will Allie find her real body and like be able to like skin jack herself and come back to life? Like, will she Mary's will plan work? Okay, will that's my theory. My theory. Her? I do not think that Mary that I don't have a theory on anything else, but I don't think Allie is actually going to end up going back to life because one, okay. I think it would be really cruel for Mikey. And two, if she's been comatose for over three years, I mean, I have not looked up statistics on this, but I find it hard to believe that it, that people who are comatose for that long frequently reincarnate. Now, again, I, I know... I think it's about th- frequently. I know. There's always, can be miracles, but I would say, like, three years is, like, not that long, like, in the sense of, like, I could say if it was, like, okay, it's been a decade, like, she's going to be a completely different person, whereas if she wakes up, she'll just be, you know, instead of being 14 or 15, she'll be, like, a young adult at that point. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, she'd be able to adjust. Oh, she would be able to adjust. Like, it would take time. But if it was, like, a decade, it'd be much harder. Well, again, I, I think that she might skin jack herself. I think she might, like, be forced with the choice. But I think that she will... I think that she'll actually stay in Everlost because that's where the people that, like, she know. Also, because there could be another time jump because there was, like, a almost a three-year time jump from the first book to the second book. So there could be another time jump from the... Though I doubt it. I doubt it'll be that big of one because, like, we're in action. But if Mary is back to life, yeah. it'll be at least nine months. So who knows? I think the next book, it'll start, at, I, there might be a small time jump, but at least part of it, Mary's going to still be asleep, I think, from what I remember. Well, thank goodness. We'll, well, anyway. Because, yeah, I could do without her for a few chapters. Yeah, without Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, Mary, Megan, McCain, McHill, Hightower, whatever, whatever, what is her name? Megan, Mary, McGain. Megan, McGain. I don't know if Mary was actually her name. It wasn't her middle name. It wasn't Megan Mary McGill. I don't think it was her middle name. I think she just took on the name Mary because she's like, Mary is just like a nice name and like sounds motherly, I think is what she said. Also sounds biblical. No, that's because it is biblical. Exactly. (laughs) Anyway. But anyway, (laughs) with that, next week we'll be, we'll be diving into the final Skinjacker book ever found and we'll be reading chapters one through 28. If you're going to read along with us. Oh, Yeah. 
And if you have predictions or theories or questions, or you have questions about my nuancing the lines of evil, remember you can reach out to us on the Nerd Party website. You just head over to nerdparty.com slash contact. You select throwback paperback. We have that super cute logo. And that'll send us an email. And you can get in touch with the network at large on Twitter at Join Nerd Party or Instagram at the Nerd Party or Facebook.com slash the Nerd Party. To find me, I'm on Instagram at Seashells. Again, that's C-S-C-H. E-L-S, seashells. It's a play on words. And I'm at asia.bonia on Instagram and TikTok. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Party Network and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. Yeah, hit that subscribe. Have a good one. We will see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.